0: God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for the people here that have gathered together to worship you uh, and to acknowledge your goodness in their life. We don't take this for granted as we know the the power of corporate worship and corporate gathering together. Pray that you would encourage each of us here, not just through the word, but through the fellowship and, and the time we have together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I shared from Isaiah 41, everyone, or 40, verse 31. Everyone remember this? Yeah. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And last week, I talked about the fact that God wants to renew our strength. We serve a God who is fully committed to us. He was so committed to us that he did everything possible To restore us back into right relationship with him. I shared last week how this relationship is described as a covenant relationship. Do you remember that? It's a relationship where Jesus exchanged our sin for his righteousness. Remember that? He exchanged um, our brokenness for his wholeness when he went to the cross. He, this is, he, at that time, he shed his blood to establish a covenant relationship with us where we would no longer be slaves, but we would now be children in the family of God. How good is that? This covenant relationship with God is not just a once-off, but it's a daily experience where God is committed to us no matter what we are going through. This is really important for us to know because this is the amazing God we serve. As I said last week, we know who we are once we know who God is. You see, once we know who our God is, then we can actually begin to understand who we are. Our verse here in Isaiah 41 says very clearly who our God is, doesn't it? says, straight up, but those who wait on the Lord. Now this isn't just a name for God, it's a description of who he is. That he is the Lord. Another way the Bible describes that he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And this Lord, this authority in our lives, has given us his robes of righteousness. His royal robes. He is, and in the same token, by placing his robes upon us, he has given us access to everything he has. If we could grasp that, if we could understand that, if we could have a revelation of that, that God, through what he has done through his son Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has restored us back into right relationship with him. And in that, he has given us everything he has. Do you remember how I shared about David and Jonathan? And Jonathan put his armour on David and said, we are in relationship now, everything I have is yours. And this is the, the picture that we have of the covenant relationship that God has brought us into. This means, and you need to hear this, this means our circumstances. Our situations, the stuff we're going through, they do not dictate the way God feels about you and me. Isn't that good? You might be in a really difficult place right now, but that does not determine the way God feels about you. What determines the way God feels about you is the covenant he has made with us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what shows us how God feels about us. That he would give his very best for us. That he would make available to us everything that he has. That shows us no matter where you are today, no matter how difficult your situation, no matter how troubling it is, you need to know that God is fully committed to you and he has shown this so powerfully through his son Jesus Christ. If you want a picture of this, there's a really clear picture of a parable that Jesus tells. We all know it. You've probably heard it time and time again. But the story of the lost son or the prodigal son. We know that story. We know the story that the son went away and he squandered everything he had. Then he came back to the father and the father saw him a long way off and ran to him. Ran to him. that's Old men don't run in Jewish culture. That's... That's not the, that's an undignified thing to do. But he was so compelled to restore his son back to himself that he ran to him. He hugged him and he put a robe on his shoulders and he put a ring on his finger to show that you are now back in the family. That you are now restored to your rightful place. And this is the amazing picture that Jesus gives us of God the Father. That he would run to us, that he wants to restore us to our full rights as sons and daughters of God. This is who we serve. This is our God. And so if this is who God is, then the question has to be asked, then who are we? And how do we respond to this amazing God? this amazing covenant relationship that he has offered us, what do we do? In our verse, it says that he is the one that renews our strength. So if he's the one that gives strength, then it makes sense that we are the ones who receive his strength. This tells me that God is the giver. That God is the provider, that God is the one who gives strength, and we are the ones who receive. So very clearly, when you know who God is, God is the giver, yeah. then who are we? We are the receivers of God's goodness. As I've said here many times, and you've heard me speak it and preach it, but I, this is just Something we have to understand because it is the, the Christian story. It is what puts things in perspective when we look at life and we look at what's going on around us. When we understand this basic principle, it, gets, it makes everything else fall into place. You see, God is the creator. That's who he is. So what does that make us? We are his created. That gives us perspective of how this relationship works. The Bible describes it as well like this, that he is the shepherd. What does that make you and me? Sheep. We are the sheep. Ashok sheep preached a few weeks ago, God is the potter. What are we? And the cracked pots. Remember that? We're his pots. As I just said, God is the Father and we are his children. What this basically tells us, and our, our verse tells us this as well, that he is the Lord. If he is the Lord, if he is the authority, then who are we? We are his servants. What this principle is, is that God is our source. And so we need to depend on the source for everything we have. This is what our verse makes very clear, that that if we are going to receive his strength, then we need to get that in the right order. We are not the source. God is the source. We are to be dependent upon him. So what is waiting then, as this verse says? Because it says, those who wait on the Lord. Then if, if waiting is about being dependent upon God, then what is it? I've put it down as simply as this. Waiting is simply knowing who God is and then responding appropriately. Waiting is simply knowing who God is and then responding appropriately. Let me give you an example of this. We know the theologians and you know, pastors, you would have heard it over the years, would tell you that God is omnipresent. What does that mean? That God is everywhere. That he is all around us. That he is in us and through us and around us. This is our God. He is everywhere. Nothing, nothing gets past him. He is all, in all and through all, the Bible tells us. So if God is omnipresent, how do I respond to that? Then I have to, as Mao said, I have to pay attention because he could be doing anything at any time. He could be wanting to talk to us at any moment. So if he is omnipresent, then my responsibility is to respond appropriately to be paying attention. That's what this, one of the translations of this verse actually says in, in the Amplified Version. It says, those who pay attention, who wait upon God. Uh, another situation is they tell us that God is all-knowing. The word there is omniscient. Anyone remember that from Bible college in the old days? That means he is all-knowing. He knows everything. This verse, if you read earlier in Isaiah 40, it talks about that, the fact that he is all-knowing, that nothing gets past him. So if God is all-knowing, how do we respond to that? If God knows everything, then I know I can trust in him, that I can put my trust in him. That's another translation for waiting, that we would put our trust in him. What's the third omni? Anyone know it? That God is omnipotent. What does that mean? He is all-powerful. If God is all-powerful, that he, with just one word from his mouth, created everything that we see. If he is all-powerful, then what's our response to him? How do we respond appropriately to him? If someone's all-powerful and has all the power, then I know I can put my hope in him. That I can put all my hope in him. These are all ways this passage is actually translated. If you... My click has stopped working. Here we go, in the King James it says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. In the NIV it says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And then the New Living Translation says, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. All these tell us that God is our source and we are to depend upon him. So I don't know about you, but if waiting on the Lord will renew my strength, then I want to I wanna know what it means to wait. I want to know what it means to hope. I want to know what it means to trust in God. And so we're going to look into that today. What does it mean to wait on God? Now, let me tell you this, and Mal stole my thunder a little bit, but the first thing I want to tell you is what it's not. And one thing that it's not is it's is that it's not passive. Waiting on God is not about sitting around and doing nothing and just waiting for God to do everything. It's not a vain hope that God will act and we just need to wait until he does. If you look at this verse, you notice that it says those who wait on the Lord. It doesn't say those who wait for the Lord. Is that right? It's not about waiting for him to do something. It's actually about waiting on him. If you understand English, then waiting on something is an active uh, activity. An active activity? Is that the way to put it? Sound like a good... But it's, it's about the fact that when we wait on him, that's when we will renew our strength. Now, I was lo- looking this up and, and the idea of waiting on... And in the old days... Probably um, when Steve and Judy were dating back in the old, old days, back uh, in those times, they used to call it courting. Is that right? Uh, that, that. <laughs> that's, that's, anyone used to be described as courting? Anyone? We were just going out. Joe. Joe caught, was courted by her husband or her boyfriend. Or, and they literally described it as that boy. It's very this is patri- very patriarchal my daughter wouldn't like this but that boy is waiting on that girl what did that mean it meant that they were pursuing her they were chasing after her they were making sure that they were wherever she was they would show up to where she worked or where the, where she they were having the dance that week or who whoever knows where that works but they were making sure that they were wherever that person they were waiting on was. In other words, they were pursuing them. Let me describe it. I'll give you an illustration of this. When when Julie and I were in the throes of beginning to consider dating and stuff like that, or we, we, were, we, were, uh, we were sort of working out whether we like each other or not and stuff, or I was trying to, well, I liked her, but I hadn't told her fully that. And it, I think the young people this week went to a Youth Alive conference. Well, back in, you would like to know this, but back in the day, Julie sang at Youth Alive in the in the early days. And I was the production manager of Youth Alive, so I looked after all that. We did shows in the entertainment centre back then, filled the place. And um, it's true, it's true. And... Uh, And guess what? You didn't even have to pay. It was free. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But as part of my role as production manager, you know, I needed to know what was going on. At this time, I, I knew that the band was rehearsing on the Tuesday night before Youth Alive. I can say this. At all the earlier rallies, I never actually went to any rehearsals. But, I, but at this one, I discovered that Julie was singing at this rehearsal and I thought, I think I need to go and check out what they're doing at this rehearsal because it's, it's the right thing. You know, I'm the production manager, so I'm going to go check out, <laughs> make sure I, I know what songs they're singing and, you know, just to do all of that. So for some unknown reason, other than I was waiting on this girl that I thought, I'm going to this rehearsal. And we got to talk a little bit afterwards, say a quick hello. (laughs) And uh, she doesn't even remember. But (laughs) but it's a true story. And I was very shy, so I sort of probably waved from a distance. But you want to be where the person you're pursuing is. And this is the idea of Waiting. See, waiting is all about the being, paying attention and, and pursuing and being in the place where the person you are waiting on is. You see, as I said, this verse gives us a very clear description of what waiting is all about. You see, who are we waiting on? We are waiting on the Lord. So that means, that says to me very clearly, that God is the Lord, he is the authority, he is the source of everything I need, and I am the servant. So there's that relation here, that if we want to understand what it means to wait on the Lord, yes, number one, we need to understand that God is the Lord, who he is, He that if we understand who he is, then we know who we are. And if he is the Lord, then I am the servant. So then that gives me the idea that To wait on God, it's like a servant waiting on their master. It's like a waiter in a restaurant, Min, waiting on their customers. And so we get a picture there of what waiting is all about. And I don't know about you, but I've been to restaurants where there are good waiters and there are ordinary waiters. And who knows that when you have a good waiter the experience, sometimes it doesn't even matter if the food's not that good, it tastes good because you've been looked after so well. But then you go to some really fancy places and they don't pay you any attention and you think, I'm not coming back here again. And so I want to look at today what makes a good waiter and how, what are the ingredients we need to be the type of people that wait on God so we can know how to receive his strength in our lives. So the first thing we look at about waiters, a good waiter listens. Proverbs 8:34 says, "Blessed are those who listen to me." This is God talking, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. A good waiter is ready to listen to the instruction from their customer and act on it. This is really important because if you've ever had one of those waiters when you've gone to a, a restaurant and you've had a waiter who comes to you and has their rehearsed dialogue, you know that? Oh, welcome sir and madam, we're great, it's wonderful to have you here and today's specials are here and uh, we're, we're here to do whatever you'd like us to do type of thing and, and you know they've just rehearsed that, don't you? You know, it's just the dialogue that they've worked out. Their boss has maybe told them, this is how I want you. And and then they throw in, you know, do you want this or this extra? Or, Or do you want, you know, fries with that? Or whatever it is. But it's just dialogue. It's just practiced communication. But a good way to actually knows how to talk to their customers And get to know them in a very simple way. And then listen to what they have, what they want, and then do whatever it takes to provide it. When I think of this concept, I sometimes think about our prayer lives. And sometimes our prayer lives are like the first type of waiter who has their... They're performed dialogue. They rehearsed dialogue. They'll come to God and they'll talk to God and talk to God and talk to God and say, God, I need this. Oh God, I need you to do this. I need you. I need you to do this in my life. And they take no time to actually wait on the Lord. They take no, no time to actually allow God to communicate back with them and actually talk about what they really need or what he really wants from them you see this is waiting on the Lord it's not about us bringing all our stuff and being caught up in all our stuff it's actually about taking time to actually hear from God and respond to him and sometimes I think for many of us we're stuck in these these situations and problems in our life and we get so stressed and anxious about them And we wonder, why is this happening to me? And I think sometimes it's because we're doing things that God has never assigned for us to do. You see, we haven't taken the time to actually listen to what God is saying. And if God is saying, I'm your Lord, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, then we need to say, well, what is the Lord actually want? Or maybe the question we need to ask is, am I, is God actually the Lord of my life? Or am I the Lord of my life? Am I being the source of my life? Or am I allowing God to be the source of my life? Many of us struggle because we have the Martha attitude rather than the Mary attitude. We're not taking time or making the effort to Spend time with God to actually hear what he is saying to us because we're so distracted with everything that's happening around us and trying to juggle all the balls and spin all the plates but we're not realising that the Lord is right there who's willing and wanting to take those things from you and help you with them. And this is the importance of listening to actually take time to listen. Good waiters listen. I've read an illustration where it talks about back in the Great Depression when jobs were really hard to come by, there was a telegraph company that needed someone as a telegraph operator. There was a certain man who was jobless who thought, I'm going to apply for that job because I have the skills to do it. And when he got there, though, he went into the office and the office was filled with other men wanting the same job. And he thought, I've got no hope here. All of these guys have got here before me. How am I going to get this job? Because they will get it before I even get a chance to be interviewed. And so as he sat there feeling discouraged, all of a sudden he listened and he heard a tapping noise in the background coming from the back room and he's like, that sounds familiar. And everyone else around him was talking and, and, and discussing. And, but he tuned in to this tapping noise that he could hear. And all of a sudden, a smile came over his face because he realised what he could hear was Morse code coming from the back office. And as he listened to it and he deciphered it, he realised that what it was saying was that if you can understand what this is saying, come to the back office, you've got the job. So he got up off his seat, went through the door, into the back office, walked out five minutes later, smiling, saying, I've got the job. And all the blokes around there are going, what on earth? We were here before you, how did you get the job? That's ridiculous. And he goes, none of you were listening to the message that was coming out to say if you if you understand this morse code come to the back office because you've got the job this is a picture of god and us you know god is always wanting to communicate with us god is always speaking god is always talking god is always moving he is an active god but the key is are we tuned in to listen to what he is saying see good waiters listen The second thing we know is that good waiters watch. Our verse in Proverbs 8 says, Watching daily at my doors. We've all had that frustrating experience at a restaurant where you you need something and you're trying to get the attention of the waiter, but they're not watching you. Is that right? They're too busy doing other stuff, and that gets frustrating. And this is the the reality. That, as Mao said earlier, about good waiters pay attention. They're looking to the needs of their customers. They're looking to make sure their, their customers are satisfied and happy and that they're doing okay and they're enjoying their experience. They're watching and paying attention. A good waiter or servant is always looking for opportunities to attend to their master's needs. They're always looking for opportunities to attend to their master's needs. I want to give you an example of this. It's a bit of an obscure example. But in John 20, it tells a story after Jesus' resurrection. And it says, Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. So Jesus has just resurrected, and there was his shroud and the cloths lying there. And it says, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. Now we think, oh, they saw that the cloths, like the body's not there, so they believed. But there's a really interesting picture here that explains what they actually saw. You see, that folded handkerchief was a sign to them that Jesus was not finished, that he was still at work. You see, the custom of the day in the relationship between a master and their servant, when the master sat down to dinner the servant would put it all out and bring the food to them and, and and everything would be there that the master would need, including a napkin to wipe their mouth and their hands. And the master would eat their food. And if the master had had their fill and were happy and, and had enough to eat, if the master would take the, the napkin and they'd scrunch it up and just put it down and they'd get up from the table and that would be a sign to the, the servant that The master's all done, the the napkin's scrunched up, I can now clear the table and take the food away and clean up. But if the master maybe got called away to deal with another matter or had to do something, deal with their kids crying or something like that, the master would fold their napkin and put it down and that would be a signal to the servant that I'm not finished. I'm going to come back and finish this meal so don't touch anything because I still want to have work to do here. And so the servant would not touch a thing and they would wait for the master to come back and then the master would continue to eat. And so in this picture of Jesus' resurrection where the napkins folded, Jesus was sending them a sign to say, I'm not finished. I'm still at work. I'm still alive. I'm still doing something. But for the disciples to believe that, they saw that and they believed and they understood that Jesus is risen. He is moving. He is working. He is doing stuff. He is not finished. But they had to watch. They had to pick up that sign. They had to see it. And this is the thing. A good waiter watches, a good waiter is watchful, is is paying attention is looking to the needs of their master all the time. You know, one of the reasons I believe we've come out of the lockdown and all of everything that's gone on with coronavirus stronger than we went in as a church is because when we first started looking and going into lockdown, as a church, we didn't go, oh, what are we going to do? We're like, we actually asked the question, what is God doing in this time? What is God's purpose in this? Well, and one of the things that God showed us is his purpose was to remind the church that church is not just Sunday service. That the we are the church, the people are the church, and church is every day and everywhere we go, the church goes with us. And that, that was a great reminder and a bit of a kick up the bum for us to say, don't forget, we're the church all the time. And let's be the church. Let's be what the church... and, and Because we said, God, what are you doing at this time? And we were watchful and responsive. I believe God has blessed us as a church because of our watchfulness. And this is what God is saying, is that that good waiters watch. So if we wait on the Lord, if we're going to experience his strength and his power in our lives, then we need to be watchful. The last thing that good waiters do is good waiters serve. Sounds pretty obvious. But the Master and the Lord is the Master and Lord. So his job is to sit and do what the Master and Lord does, have authority over everything, take care of business, take care of the affairs that are going on around him. But our job is to serve the Master. Now we might get confused in... Modern language, what does serving, you know, are we like a slave or a subservient servant that just, you know, is not looked after and, and treated poorly? No, if I was to describe serving in a Christian context, I would be saying that it simply means that we live our lives the way God has called us to. Serving is simply... Following through and hearing God's voice, but following through and being obedient to what Jesus commands us. You see, serving is the ministry of Christianity. Music ministry is not the ministry of Christianity. Children's church is not a ministry of Christianity. Ushering is not a ministry of Christianity. Jesus said it very clearly, the son of man came to serve, not to be served. So the ministry of Christianity is serving. It's not defined by what we do. So we like to define it by a role. Oh, I'm a kids worker in children's church or I, I help out in pop-up kitchen serving food. That's, so I do a role and that's my ministry. No, your ministry is to serve God. And that's not defined by a role, it's your life. It's a lifestyle and an attitude. It's the attitude that Jesus had when he came. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. So serving is all about hearing God's voice and responding and doing what the customer asks or the Lord asks. Now think about this for a moment. If like We have Min here and he runs an awesome restaurant, Phoenix restaurant, down at North Haven give you a plug go and get your Chinese there it's really good and uh, make sure you help them out in these times but if Min was if I went to Min's restaurant and I said look Min I just want some fried rice Um, that's all I want today and he he said okay that's your order and then he came back and gave me a, a plate of honey chicken as much as I love honey chicken I didn't ask for honey chicken I ask for fried rice. And sometimes as servants of God, that's what we do. God asks us, and Jesus tells us this very clear command. He says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's his command. So Jesus' order to us as his servants is, love one another. And so we go, okay, I'll love one another. So... I'm going to volunteer in children's church. That's how I'm going to love one another. So we're bringing honey chicken to God instead of what God asked, the fried rice, the basics, which is what? Love, love one another. So often we do this. We, we, we say, oh, okay, God wants me to love someone, so I'll find a role to fulfill. Yeah, very good. And we do it once a week when we come to church. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, love each other with your lives. In everything you do, love one another. Wherever you go, love one another. When you get up in the morning, love one another. When you go to bed at night, love one another. Make your whole day be an example and an attitude and a lifestyle of loving. This is what he says. In, Paul sums it up perfectly in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all ministry, mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast... But do not have love, I gain nothing. Think of it. We love to go, oh, I'll do it. I'll show love by doing, doing, doing. But God says, this commandment I give to you, just love one another. Just start by talking to each other. That would be a good place to start. You don't need a role to love someone. You don't need a position, you don't need a responsibility, you just need to love one another. This is how we serve God. If you want to know what it means to hear God's voice, listen, then listen to this. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. When we do this, we wait on God. When we serve him, this is serving him. This is what serving him looks like. If you remember anything from this sermon, just remember it's making sure you get the fried rice, not the honey chicken. (laughs) Get the fried rice. Just love each other. Give God what he wants. Give the Lord what he wants, that we would love one another. This is how we wait on the Lord. We respond to what he has done in providing a covenant relationship with him. We accept that we are no longer slaves but children of God. We are clothed in his righteousness. He has put his ring on our finger. And now it's time for us to respond to him by giving him our full attention, by listening with everything we have, by watching with everything we have and serving with everything we have. That's what it means to give God our hope our trust and waiting on him, that we would depend on him, that we would acknowledge him as our source and that we depend on him as our source. When we live like this, that's when we discover that his strength fills our life. When we are waiting on him, when we're listening, when we're watching, when we're serving, you discover his power will fill your life. When you say, you're God, I'm your servant, I'm here to do whatever you ask me to do. I'm paying attention, I'm watching. Maybe (coughs) some of us here aren't experiencing this strength because we're still trying to do everything in our own strength, which is a reality. That's what sin does. But it's time for us to understand We were not created to carry the weight of our lives. We're the created, we're not the creator. The reason we're tired, the reason we're struggling, is because we're trying to do something we weren't created for. We're trying to carry on our shoulders the weight of our lives. When God says to us, no, I want to exchange that weight I want to give you my robes. I want to give you my strength. I want to give you everything I have. You just need to give me the weight of your life. And I will exchange it for my plan. What's his plan? His plan that we, is that we would rely on him. That we would hope in him. That we would trust him with our whole lives. That we would be what we were created to be, dependent upon God. Jesus sums this up perfectly in Matthew 11 where he says these powerful words and he says this to all of us, even to us here today. This is Jesus talking to you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What's he saying there? He's saying, take my mantle, take my position. That's the exchange. So take my robes, take my righteousness, take my authority upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants to exchange your heaviness for his lightness. He wants to take that weight off your shoulders and say, trust me. Wait on me. Put your hope in me. So I can give you my strength. Let's pray. As I'm about to pray, I know there's people here in this place that you're carrying heavy burdens and I just believe God wants you to know that he doesn't want you to carry that burden anymore. He wants to exchange your burden for his yoke which is light and easy. He wants to give you rest What's that rest? It' give you rest from striving and struggling to carry this stuff that you weren't created to carry. And all it takes is one step to say, "God, I give my life to you." And I know many of you have done that at times, but sometimes we pick up stuff again, and we have to come back to God and say, "God, I'm sorry. I place my life, I trust you again. I wait on you again." I make you the object of all my attention again. And if that's you today, I'd love you to pray with me and uh, ask God to help you with that. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for what you're saying and I thank you that you are incredible, that you are our God. You are the Lord You are the authority. You are the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present one. And that you are more, you are the creator and we are your created. God, we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our need for you. and We come to you today and say, God, take our burdens. Take our lives. We place them in your hands and we trust you with them. Help us to live as good waiters, people that listen to you, people that watch out for what you're doing and people that serve you with everything we have, that we would love like you love. Lord, we ask you for your help today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope God spoke to you today. And uh, we're going to finish here, but I want you to just take a moment, even before you go, maybe just to talk to the person next to you and just pray for each other. Just encourage one another. Just take a moment. We don't have to rush. It's only 11.30. Coffee machine's on. Coffees will be there no matter what. But why don't you take a moment just to pray for each other and encourage one another. And uh, yeah, just take some time. God bless.